Well, good morning again, and good morning to you online with us. We're glad you're joining us. We say welcome wherever you are joining us from. So last week we've been in a series called Say What? And the reason the series is titled Say What? is because I would imagine those were some of the first words that the disciples and those gathered around Jesus uttered as he was saying and telling them or giving them this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Say what? But you, you actually expect us to live this out. You actually expect us to do this. And one of the things that, that becomes very evident quickly is who the writer Matthew wants you to see Jesus as in the book of Matthew. Not, not just simply the Messiah, but a new Moses. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 begins this way. Verse 1, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. And he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So he goes up on this mountainside. And why, why is it that so important? Because Moses goes up onto a mountain to hear the voice of God. As the Ten Commandments and the law come down from God and are given to the people. And so here he, he places Jesus, this new Moses, on a mountainside. Just after Jesus has come through the waters and gone into the wilderness where he spent 40 days. Now, here comes the law. And it mimics this out of Egypt pattern of Moses. And so Jesus goes up on a mountainside. He sits down and his disciples come to him and he begins to teach them. And if you'll remember last week, if you weren't here... We began at the end. And, and here's the reason we did that. Because we want to know what Jesus is really driving us toward. And, and the point of the sermon is not just simply you need to know what to do. But it's that blessed is the one who actually does what it says. And we pay, we face, pay, place, uh, excuse me, we place so much emphasis on knowing the word. But what he does not say at the end of the sermon is blessed is the one who knows the word of God, but it's blessed is the one who does the word of God because they are like a wise man. In fact, if you know the word and don't do what it says, then you are like a foolish man. And so we kind of began at the end to get a picture of where he is pushing us toward. And the point of doing the Sermon on the Mount right now is so, so, so intentional. Because right now you have everyone in the world at your disposal, telling you what to do and what to think and how to respond. You have social media telling you, here's what you should be thinking. A thousand different voices telling you how you should respond. And you have a 24-hour news cycle that never stops. And you have your political affiliations that's pointing you in the right direction at all times. 
and you have all of these voices saying, here's how you should respond, whether we're talking about racial injustice or we're talking about COVID-19 or we're talking about an upcoming election. And my goal, my hope in this series is that we can take the Sermon on the Mount and get rid of all of those other filters, all of those other lenses, and place the Sermon on the Mount on top of everything that is going on in our world so that we would see the world through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount. Because I believe that this right here, if we will learn to do this and look at the world through these three chapters, it will change the way that we see the world. But more importantly, it will change the way that we respond to the world. That we will be more like Jesus. And so when you begin at the end, you know the emphasis is do what God says. Do, live out the word. So we would expect when Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, we would start with commands. Here's what you now should do. But I want you to listen to the very first word that pops up that Jesus utters in verse 3. It's blessed. The very first thing Jesus says is not, now I command you. The very first thing Jesus says is blessed. And the word blessed is a Greek word, makarios. And it does mean just simply that, blessed or happy or fortunate. And he comes in and he says, here's, here's who is blessed. Not, here's a new command I give you. But blessed and what we've done in our world, in our life, and I'll just tell you first and foremost, I'm horrible at doing this. We've equated God's blessing with being happy and healthy and wealthy. Just the other day, I was in a conversation with someone who said, we'll have to have you over to our house to swim in our new pool. We've been so blessed by God. And we've equated God's blessing with stuff. Now, I'll tell you, first and foremost, I have too. Even though I would say, well, we don't really believe in the health and wealth gospel type thing, but there's a side of us that does. There's a side of us that's very privileged. It's very well off. And we automatically assume that if we have what we need, if we're healthy, if we're wealthy, then God is blessing us. I wonder, wonder if in some ways we've bought into a lie. If we've bought into the lie that having a blessed life is about blank. Having a blessed life is about control. Or having a blessed life is about having money. 
or having a blessed life is about having position or about having power or having a blessed life is about respect or having a blessed life is about stuff. And I wonder, wonder if you've bought in to that lie. Because I think that lie is so pervasive. And you see people like Elijah running for his life, hiding in caves, who is a man of God. You see men like Moses who stood up as the leader of God's people and was constantly a nomad, moving from place to place, following the voice of God. Jesus, who says he had no place to lay his head. Or Paul, who said, I know what it's like to have plenty, and I know what it's like to not have anything. But I'm learning that all my power and strength comes from God. And so God, through Jesus here, gives this blessing over these people gathered to hear these words. And there's a little context I want you to kind of understand going into this because I think it makes a little bit more sense of what happens through the rest of the sermon. During the first century, this was what you would have called an agrarian class society. And so in an agrarian class society, you have a ruler who's basically one person and and they get to call all the shots And then you have this governing class, and their job is to support the ruler and make sure they're happy and everything is going well. And you have a retainer class, and these are kind of low-level bureaucrats and lawyers. Um, They they have um, a lot of money. And then you have the merchant class, which during this time made up about 5% of the actual population, which you fast forward today, it makes up over 80% of our population. And then you have the priestly class, which these are landowners, and there's some wealth. And there's power and there's prestige there. And then you jump down to the peasant class. And for the most part, these are tenant farmers. These are fishermen. These are people working for other people. These are people who work all day long. And then Rome comes in and says, two-thirds of everything you made, two-thirds of all your crops or two-thirds of all your fish, That goes to Caesar. That goes to this group up here. And then you're left with one-third for your family and to plant grain for the next year. And then you have the artisans. Um, They're talented people, but they really rely upon the wealth to be hired out by these upper class. And then there's the unclean, either by vocation or by disease. And then you have the expendable. These are the people that don't really matter. They don't really have a place in the world. And for these top um, six groups, or five groups, no, six groups, no, five groups, sorry, sorry. These top five, I can't count today. Um, For these top five groups, it makes up about 15 to 20% of the overall population. And the other 80% is found in the peasant, artisan, unclean, and expendable. That's the majority of the people. 
and their life is about supporting the upper class and making sure the system runs. And so Jesus speaks into this world, and he gives not a command, but a blessing. And he says, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this word poor in spirit really goes back, and it's kind of a loaded term because it has its roots um, in exiled Israel. And the word in Hebrew is anawim, the anawim. And the anawim is this Hebrew word um, that really comes from the exile, from people who were left out. Because if you'll remember the Babylonian exile, there were these groups that came in and they basically raided Jerusalem. And they took the best and the brightest. But there were others that they left behind because they considered them unuseful. You see, you haven't been properly insulted until someone comes in and says, we're going to take slaves and servants, but we really don't want you because you're not good enough. And they bring them into their society. And you have these groups that are completely left out. With no power and no position and no prestige and no voice. And Jesus comes and he says, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we, we hear this term, kingdom of heaven, and we automatically think, okay, someday off in the future. But Matthew uses the word kingdom of heaven just like Mark uses the word kingdom of God. He's talking about something here and now. As Jesus prays on earth as it is in heaven, that, that God's kingdom is being built up and exalted and, and becoming the place where God reigns. And as followers of Jesus, we are the ones that are bringing that kingdom to life here on earth as it is in heaven. We're building the kingdom of God. And so he comes in and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not someday off in the future, but right now. Right now in the midst of your poverty. Right now in the midst of your hopelessness. Right now in the midst of your oppression. God's kingdom is coming. And you're getting to see the full weight of it. And he says, blessed, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who can enter into the pain and hurt of the world and, and feel the weight of it. And join beside people who mourn and find that there is blessing there. I mean, I've been to numerous, numerous funerals. And I have stood beside people who are weeping and mourning. And the very thing I, I can tell you I don't think in that moment is, wow, they are so blessed. They are so happy and fortunate right now. In fact... Um, there was a funeral that we were a part of a couple of years ago 
with Ryan's friend Brody. And in that moment, I think that's the first time I truly understood what Jesus meant. Because standing there talking about the life of a 10-year-old boy who died of cancer is something we should never have to do. No one should ever have to do that. But as we looked around, as we shared stories, as we hugged, as we cried together, as we laughed together, we saw God's blessing. We spend so much trying to avoid tears. Like the psalmist David who says, all night long, I drenched my couch in tears. We don't like to mourn. But Jesus says there is God's blessing. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who put more stock in God's name than in their own name. See, the goal is not to think less of yourself, but it's to think of yourself less. And I think meekness and humility are so closely tied together, where humility is this how we feel and how we respond to ourself, this inward process, this inward journey. Meekness is how we respond in gentleness to the other. And I don't know if it's, if it's possible to respond in meekness if you're not a person who is humble. That we, we begin with that inward journey of humility and it expresses itself through meekness towards others. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And this word righteousness in the Greek, really, literally means justice. That, that God is a just God, and He is setting the world right. That there is a way the world is supposed to work, that it was supposed to work from the very beginning, that we saw, that we long for, that we hunger for. And God is bringing His justice to restore the beauty of that creation. And he's inviting you and I to be a part of what he's doing in this world. That we're seeking God's justice and bringing that healing to the world. That God is working in this world. And if you will seek after that, if you will hunger and thirst for it, you will be filled with the very thing that you're looking for. Blessed are the merciful the ones who show mercy, who give grace, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Not, not so much about moral purity, but it's having a single purpose and direction in your life. And then finally, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. The ones who will stand in the middle. The, the ones who constantly seek to make peace when it looks like there's 
no other way to make peace. And the only way to the path of peace is peace itself. It's those who never get drawn in to the violence and confusion and name-calling and accusations and hostility of the age. Which, for this crowd, when they heard the word peace, something would have just triggered in their mind, and it was the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And the peace of Rome was all about peace, and as long as you would submit to the way of Rome. And can you go back to that agrarian class society? As long as you would submit your life to these rulers and governing class and retaining class and merchants and priestly class, as long as you would follow their rules and be a part of their system and contribute to their happiness, you would have peace. And everything would be okay for you. But if you did not, then you would die. And that's why. That's why they were killing hundreds and thousands of people year after year who would not bow their knee to Caesar and who would not confess Caesar is Lord. And if you work for peace outside of this system, because we have our way the system works, but if you work for peace outside of this system, then they're going to call you dangerous and subversive and unpatriotic. If you don't follow our rules and play our game, then we're just going to get rid of you. And Jesus walks into this culture, into this society, and says, blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who will stand in the gap, the ones who will stand between the two groups, the ones who will bring hope and healing and the hope that there is a better way than the way the world works. You wake up every morning. You see the news. And you see the conflict. And you see the strife. I don't know about y'all. I'm getting so tired. I'm weary. I'm weary of people who are hurting and people who won't listen. I'm getting tired of people who just scream louder and louder, hoping to be heard. As we said last week, this, this is not, if we can't just dismiss all the political, social media stuff going on and just have real conversations with people, the problems never work themselves out. Because these problems that, that, that are going on in our world are not fixed on this big macro scale. That system doesn't work. The only way these problems are ever fixed is when you and I start sitting down and having conversations with people. People who think differently than us. Who look different than us. 
who vote different than us and start having real conversations. That is the only way walls are ever broken down. Because it seems that whatever topic you want to talk about, throw in any topic you want in the blank, it seems as the divide grows more and more, the voices get louder and louder. And people's ability to other becomes harder and harder. And all we have right now on, on so many levels in our country is just people shouting at one another louder and louder. And I, I just I made a commitment for myself. I'm going to try to have one conversation a week with someone of a different skin color. Like that's, that's what I'm going to start with. Where we just sit down and we get to know each other on a deeper level. And we ask some difficult questions. And we seek to, to, to make a community. This last week, I had lunch with Dr. Robinson at North Tenaha. Let me just, it was the biggest blessing of my week. Getting to hear his story. And getting to hear him talk about life. And his church and what's going on there. Because it's so, so easy to begin to think that your world is the world. Right? You think your world is the world. And it's not. And you begin to think your church is the church. And it's not. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than Shiloh Road. It is so much bigger. And, and thank God it is so much more diverse. Because one day in the end, when all is said and done, the world through.